The following is a message by Dr. David Van Drunen from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We will be looking this morning at Galatians chapter 6 beginning at verse 11 through the end of the chapter and book. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. As we come to the end of this year-long faculty series on Galatians, we are looking at part of the book of Galatians that is probably less familiar to us. The book of Galatians as a whole tends to be familiar to people like us, but usually we focus our attention on earlier chapters. Uh, it seems that here, is the things, uh, here are the things that uh, are most, uh, most readily appealed to by us and most readily studied by us. And it's interesting to wonder why the end of Galatians may be somewhat less familiar. It's certainly not because it's not interesting or profound. Maybe it's because Galatians is so very intense that even though it's a relatively short book, by the time we get to, say, chapter 6, we're kind of tired because of all that Paul has put us through and the controversies and crucial doctrines that he's been addressing. When we come to the end of this book and to these verses that we have looked at, Paul is in many ways recapping very important things that he has already said. But he does so in some very new and interesting and profound ways that deepen our understanding and our appreciation for these great things like justification and our understanding of the works of the law that have been so crucial themes throughout this book. Here at the end of Galatians, we can see that Paul recaps some of these crucial concerns, doing so by emphasizing that we, he and we, no longer belong to this present world, but we belong to the new creation. And thus we are called to walk by a wonderfully new and different way of life. Now after verse, in verse 11, where Paul notes that he is writing this letter with his own hand, In verses 12 and 13, 
Paul says something now again about his opponents, those to whom he is especially directing this letter, these so-called Judaizers, uh, who have been troubling the saints in Galatia and who have prompted this letter to be written in the first place. These Judaizers, as Paul has explained uh, earlier, are those who have been teaching that one must obey the law of Moses to obey it comprehensively uh, in order to be saved, in order to be right with God. And Paul has looked at this not as some small error, but as something which fundamentally challenges the very heart of the gospel that he proclaims, and thus the very heart of the Christian faith. What does he say here in verses 12 and 13 about these opponents as he brings them to the attention of his hearers one last time? Well, one thing that he does very clearly is to expose their motivations. What is it that has been driving these Judaizers all along? Well, one of the things that he says about them is, we see it in verse 12, that they are trying to make a good showing in the flesh And in verse 13, something related to this, uh, they uh, want to have them circumcised that they may boast in their flesh. There's something about pride, something about boasting that is driving these Judaizers. Now, if we think about this for just a moment, there's something that almost seems absurd about it. What they're boasting in is circumcision, something that involves a part of the body that you don't even show publicly. It's kind of a strange thing to boast about when you think about it. And yet, if we try to put ourselves in their mindset, perhaps it's not so strange after all. Because if you are thinking in terms of, I need to obey the law in order to be saved, in order to be right with God, there are a couple of things that you would really, really, really want to know. Number one, you'd want to know what exactly the requirements of this law were that you had to obey. And secondly, you'd really want to know whether after you had attempted it, you had actually succeeded. This would be very important things to know. Well, certainly circumcision was a clear requirement uh, from the Old Testament, a very objective requirement, and it's the sort of thing that if it happened, you could know that it happened. There wouldn't be a whole lot of doubt about it. And so it's something that could indeed be something that could give some real confidence that you had at least done something that was very important that would satisfy God's law, could serve as a kind of badge, a kind of, a kind of pledge that one was living in obedience to God's law and one might be able to have some confidence before God. We should also note here something else that is driving the motivation of these Judaizers. In verse 12, Paul says, that they do this only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It's not exactly the same reason. We might think of the first reason as a kind of fear of God in some, a little bit of a twisted way. Here we find it is the fear of man. They do not want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And this may also strike us as being a little surprising at first. When we think about how Jewish people, even in this time and place, were persecuted for their faith. When we think of the very long history of how those who practice Judaism have been persecuted for their faith, it seems a little strange, doesn't it, that by 
clinging to Old Testament religion, clinging to Judaism, one would try to avoid persecution. And yet again, as we think about this, maybe it's not quite so strange after all. I think we could say that what Paul, what Paul believes is that Judaism is a lot more understandable to the pagans of this world than Christianity is. And perhaps in the book of Galatians, the place where we'd want to go to understand why Paul would think that way is the opening of Galatians 4, where Paul talks about these basic principles of the world, as the ESV has it, as not even, there's debate about how best to even translate uh, uh, that phrase. Paul refers to this in both Galatians 4, verse 3, and Galatians 4, verse 9. We don't have time this morning to go back there and, and to consider what Paul is saying there, but just very briefly, in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul refers to the basic principles of the world, the elementary principles of the world, with reference to the Mosaic law. And he does not want his Christian Jewish converts to go back to the Mosaic law and these basic principles of the world. And then in verse 9 of chapter 4, he seems to be addressing his Gentile converts and to be saying to them, don't you go back to the basic elementary principles of the world. In other words, by joining these Judaizers. But you see, by saying going back, he actually seems to be implying that they were already there. That their old way of life under paganism somehow also falls into that category of the basic elementary principles of the world. And that raises all sorts of interesting questions about why Paul, a former Pharisee, would somehow link life under the Mosaic law and life under paganism in this way. Let me put it this way very briefly. Paul sees both of these things as some, in some way or another, in their own distinctive ways, as falling under the old order of things. They are, we might say, protological rather than eschatological. And whether it's the Mosaic law, which was God's infallible revealed law, or whether it's paganism, which was unbelievers twisting of natural revelation, they were both fall somehow under the old order of things. And they had in common, as Paul would explain in Galatians 4, verse 10, the observance of days and months and seasons and years. Well, Paul wants to warn against clinging to the old order of things now that Christ has come. And we see this then becoming clear in verse 14, where Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross of Christ has marked a definitive break. In the cross of Christ, we no longer belong to the old order of things. We no longer belong to this world. The cross of Christ is the only thing in which Paul will boast now. And once again, we have to note that this seems at first to be a pretty odd statement. Boasting in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the cross actually display to us? It displays how helpless we are, how sinful we are, how absolutely unable we are 
to do anything that would make us right with God. Not really the kind of thing you'd want to boast about. And yet at the same time we think about it and what a wonderful thing it is to boast about because it's not really boasting about ourselves. It's boasting in a God who would actually send his own son to go to the cross. A God who would love us so much that he would do whatever it took to reconcile us to himself, to save us from the old order of things that held us in bondage. Paul can boast because, boast in the cross because it's not about himself or boasting in his own flesh. It's boasting in God. It's boasting in Christ. Reveling in that mercy and that grace and that abounding generosity that would rescue him even at such great cost, even at this great price. And so, looking to the cross of Christ and recognizing how it cuts off all self-boasting, Paul recognizes that he no longer, and we as believers no longer belong to this old order of things, to this present world. But that raises the question then, if we don't belong to this world, if we don't belong to the elementary principles of this world, where do we belong now? And Paul answers that in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Or perhaps we might want to translate it, neither uncircumcision counts for anything, nor, nor, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but new creation. Here is Paul's great response. Here is the great new thing that has come about. There is a new creation to which we belong, we who have been rescued from the old order of things, from the elementary principles of this present world. Now, Paul only uses this phrase, new creation, one other time in all of his epistles in 2 Corinthians 5. And yet it's a theme, whether those, that terminology is used, that we find in so many places in Paul's letters and elsewhere in the New Testament. It's really another way of saying the kingdom of heaven, the Jerusalem that is above, the heavenly Jerusalem, and other terms such as this. Paul has made it clear, or Paul will, would make it clear in other letters, that we now belong to this new creation rather than to this present world, to this present order of things. You might think, for example, of Colossians chapter 3, where Paul says that we have been raised up with Christ and are seated with him. And therefore we should set our minds on things that are above and not on the things of this earth. Or you might think of the end of Philippians 3, where Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, unlike those who are opponents of what the cross of Jesus Christ and have their and have uh, their, uh, are uh, putting their confidence in, uh, in earthly things. Paul draws this contrast in, with various terminology in other places. We now belong to this new creation. And we might ask ourselves here in verse 15, why is it that circumcision and uncircumcision no longer matter in light of this new identity we have in with this new creation? Well, there are at least two things that we might note. 
And of course, we remember here that circumcision, uncircumcision was a key focal point of, of debate uh, in this particular controversy in the church. For one thing, circumcision and uncircumcision had come to represent human effort by which we stand or fall before God. And in light of the cross of Christ, and in light of the new creation to which we already belong and are already citizens, that whole idea of trying to make ourselves right before God by our own effort falls away. We belong to a kingdom, a new creation, that has been won for us once and for all by the work of another. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it no longer matters. But there's something else that we should surely take account of here. Circumcision, uncircumcision, represents that which divides one person from another and one group of people from another. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it divided Jew from Gentile. Circumcision, uncircumcision, it even divided males from females. But you think about the new creation that Paul proclaims. Even earlier in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 28, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Jesus Christ. The new creation has nothing to do with what divides, with what separates. The new creation unites all sorts of people, all sorts of different people, people who may be divided under the old order of things. Brothers and sisters, remember here, as we think about verse 15 in this context, this doctrine of justification that Paul has been proclaiming is indeed a forensic judicial matter, as we often speak of. But remember that this forensic act of justification is not what we might also call a bare forensic act. It is a forensic act that results in believers being transferred from one dominion to another, from one realm to another, from the old order of things, which lies under God's condemnation, to the new order of things, which is the realm of God's favor, God's justification. Our doctrine of justification, of forensic justification, should be a rich one, which recognizes that thanks to this decree, we are citizens of a new creation. Now, in verse 16, Paul, Paul again has in mind things that he's been talking about earlier in this, chapter, uh, in this book and things that have to do broadly with this doctrine of justification. What is probably the most common complaint in Paul's day and in subsequent times against the doctrine of justification, that it leads to antinomianism, that it leads to lack of concern about holiness before God. And so Paul, I think one last time, wants to emphasize, no, you, have, you haven't understood what I'm talking about, if that is the way you think. In verse 16, Paul says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. If you have been justified, if you have been brought from belonging to the old order to citizenship in the new creation, 
You cannot no, any longer walk according to the old, the old rule, according to the rule of circumcision and uncircumcision, according to the elementary principles of the world. That is not your rule any longer. But it doesn't mean that we're ruleless. There is a rule according to which we are to walk. Now you might say, there seems to be one problem here that Paul doesn't actually tell us what that rule is. He talks about this rule and then doesn't actually define what it is. But you see, he doesn't have to because he assumes that we've read the book of Galatians up to this point. Or we've heard the book of Galatians up to this point. Let me read verse 16 for you again. Just listen to it. Take it in. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 15. Let me read verse 15 again. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now let me go back and read Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see how Paul uses basically that same phrase. Circumcision, uncircumcision, they don't matter. But... And then he gives us something that does matter. In Galatians 6, it's new creation. In Galatians 5, it's faith working through love. You see, when Paul uses the language he does in chapter 6, verse 15, and then talks about this rule, surely he is drawing our minds back to what he said in Galatians 5. What is the rule of new creation? It's faith working through love. That is the great alternative to the old order of things and its rule, circumcision and uncircumcision. Well, we who are justified, we who belong to new creation, are called to walk in faith that works through love. Faith, that great instrument of justification, that as Paul has explained through a great deal of Galatians 5 and the opening of Galatians 6, is to work through love. In verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5, we are called to freedom, but we do not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Our justification results in service to others. You see, you don't need to serve yourself any longer because Christ has done it for you. We are free to serve our neighbor. Paul goes on to explain how we walk by the Spirit. If we belong to the new creation, the Holy Spirit is ours. He is the Spirit of the new creation and so we bear forth the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. If one of our brothers or sisters is caught in a transgression, we seek to restore that person, bearing each other's burdens. You see, we belong to a new creation. In the new creation, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when our brothers or sisters fall into sin, we don't treat them as those who need to fall into condemnation, as those who need to have the the force of the law brought against them. But following what Jesus, has, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, what Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 5, we undertake church discipline with the goal of restoration, with the goal of reconciliation, trying to bring back our, our brother who has fallen. Paul concludes verses 17 and 18, and I will just say very briefly, in verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We might think for just one slight moment that maybe Paul has relapsed, that he's now boasting in the flesh, which he has just told us that he would never do. But of course, he's not doing this. 
Paul is surely referring to the marks that he bears as one persecuted for the sake of Christ, as we know about from Acts and from some of his other epistles. People don't usually boast about getting beaten up. But Paul, it seems, is reminding them that unlike these Judaizers, these teachers who are trying to lure them away, who only have their own selves really in mind, they want to be able to boast, they want to be able to avoid persecution. Paul loves them so much that he has borne in his own body for their sakes the marks of Jesus. He has suffered on their behalf, even as Christ has suffered for them. Paul is saying to them, remember who really cares about you. Remember who is really ministering the word of God to you for God's glory and not for their own glory. Let no one cause him trouble. Remember, he bears the body, on his body the marks of Jesus, even for their sake. And Paul ends with that, that sparse blessing in verse 18. It is not his most effusive benediction. Maybe that makes sense because he has spoken quite harshly uh, to them in this letter. But I would have you go noting that Paul ends with a blessing. He ends calling them brothers. He ends commending them to the grace of God. Though Paul has taken with utmost seriousness the threat to the Christian faith that has been brought in by these Judaizers and recognizes the great spiritual predicament that these Galatians are in, he ends with the confidence that God's grace is stronger than the errors of the old order of things and its proponents. He commends them to the grace of Christ. With that, let us close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful book of Galatians, for its great encouragement to us. We thank you, O Lord, that in Christ you have justified us and freed us from the guilt of our sin. And we thank you that through this great act of justification that you have brought us out of the old order which lies under your judgment and you have brought us to the new creation. That kingdom of God that is about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, may we cling to this gospel. May we revel in our citizenship in the new creation. And may we walk according to that great rule of faith, working through love, all to the glory of your name. Amen. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.